Hello. Hi. Welcome to issue 15 of Scout and Birdie. Sisters. I'm Anna Wolf. And I'm Jennifer Keel. And this issue, we're joined with some very special guests, our very own sisters. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Welcome. My sister is Courtney Keel. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> and Courtney is joining us all the way from California. Yeah. And my sister, my baby sister, Sadie Wolf, is joining us all the way from Milwaukee here yeah. in the studio. Live and in person. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit about our sisters. My sister, Courtney, is a victim's rights lawyer in California, and she does a lot of amazing, wonderful things out there. And my sister, Sadie, is in high school. She's a junior in high school, and she is involved in theater, and she's a hilarious improviser, um, and she's all around a great pal. <laughs> okay, Courtney, I have some questions. Oh, no. Like, growing up with the wonderful Jennifer Keel. Not so wonderful. <laughs> she... she... She's wonderful now. I would say she's always been wonderful, but there has been many parts where I hated her. We're very close now, but we have we, we can really get into it with each other, and I've never had that type of relationship with anyone. Yeah, uh, you and I kind of just tear into each other. We were talking about it a little bit because we were talking about this issue, and no one is as judgmental of me and like <laughs> than we are of each other. Exactly. And no one's quite as comfortable like screaming around. Me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not comfortable screaming around anyone but you. Even the other people in our family, to a certain extent. Um, definitely. Definitely wouldn't be yelling at Alex. I don't think I've ever heard Jen raise her voice. That's hilarious. She can. Yeah. I've got some good lungs. <laughs> um, so, Sadie, I know you guys have a totally different relationship. Yeah. You guys are very lovey-dovey. And we'll get more into that when we hear your piece. But, yeah. <laughs> but tell us a little bit about growing up together. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny because we're eight years apart. And so I always felt she was so old. And she was just like... Like, when she was in high school my age now, I was like, she is so old. She has it all together. Like, she has friends. She, like, does theater. And now that I'm 17, I, like, just, like, it's just <laughs> funny. Yeah, not a lot of, I feel like not a lot of kids have a sister when they're in high school or a sibling when they're in high school that's, like, well out of college and into their adult life. So our dynamic is um, just different because when we were living at home together. We were always such a big age, big age gap. Yeah, it's the opposite for our family. I'm the youngest, and Courtney is the middle child. And um, Alex is one year older than Courtney, and she's two years and two days older than me. So we're very close. In the Wolf House, we've got four siblings, and there's two brothers in between us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and we're all three. We're all three years apart, it's, give or take. Yeah, it's kind of funny <laughs> because. <laughs> I have, we have a cousin, Natalie, who is probably the same age gap as you guys have with each other, and growing up, we took care of her a lot when she was really little, and she kind of felt like an extra sibling for us, which was kind of nice to have that, and it's like you care for that person in a specific way, because they're so much younger than you, you're a little bit more, uh, 
what the world for you, and then uh, tear each other apart. <laughs> um, Courtney, I've heard a little bit about the different nicknames that you had for each other when you were kids, but we'd love to hear about those. Well, we didn't have any <laughs> nicknames with each other. Obviously, if you guys are longtime listeners of Scout and Birdie, you know that Scout and Birdie are our nicknames from when we were kids, but Scout is actually a nickname I got from one of my friends, not from my family. So, but I know, Court, you were called Squirt when you were little. I was called Squirt. Jen did give herself her own nickname at one point. She was a little bit obsessed with Jar Jar Binks. Star Wars. <laughs> I think it's sweet. She she called herself Jen Jen Binks, and she had her own little world where she was Jen Jen Binks in in the bunk bed because we actually had bunk beds and she was on the bottom, so she had a Jar Jar Binks towel that she hung over, and that was you know the entrance into her area. It was my little cave. Keep in mind that those movies. That movie in particular was for children, and I was eight years old, so I think it's fair that I liked it. was fair. Swimming. <laughs> so I thought, I thought, why not? Um, yeah, we, growing up, we did share a room for a long, long time, which is probably added fuel to the fire of us being very volatile we shared a bed when we were really little and then we had oh my goodness we did for some period of time (laughs) I remember singing to Jen before we went to sleep I think we would maybe take turns who sang a song (laughs) but we definitely we would definitely sing in our bunk beds I remember that Mm -hmm. um yeah wow so long ago. Katie's room was right next door to mine, and so before I would go to bed, I would walk past her room, and I would go in there, and um, we would tell each other stories, or I would tell her stories, and I would tell her stories about um, a character called Teeny Tiny Sadie, mm-hmm. which was just like a pocket-sized version of herself. I was very confused. <laughs> yeah. I never understood. <laughs> and she just went to like very tricky situations because she was so little, and then I would sing to her, and a lot of nights... I would fall asleep in her bed with her, and then we would, like, be woken up by our parents to, like, go back into my own room. (laughs) That's so sweet. What were some of the nicknames that you guys had for each other? Well, well, I don't really have, like, nicknames that stick for Anna, but Anna has, like, a dictionary full of nicknames she has for me that usually consist of little foods. Here's the list of nicknames that I call Sadie. Let's um, go. Let's let's do a game like go back and forth and who doesn't get the next one moves. Okay. Okay. Um, pickles, little cake, uh, peanut cake, pixel chick, space age Palmer, <laughs> Sue Sue, uh, freckled Sue, uh, Sadie Sue, uh, little cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> but Sadie, you call me Birdie too. True, true. I did, yeah. Nice. <laughs> but is that one that you guys gave each other, or is that more a family nickname? Yeah, my mom would call me Birdie and would call Sadie, Sadie Sue or Sue Sue Applegate. Apple. And mm-hmm. Apple, yeah. <laughs> For a while, I called Courtney Pimp Juice, which was a great... Oh, yeah. <laughs> was that a family nickname? It's absolutely not a family nickname. I loved that one. Can we bring it back? Yeah, and a a lot of the time we just, um, when we call each other, 
we'll we'll go. Hey, lady. Hey, lady. <laughs> we started to get close when we were when I was like a junior in high school, maybe. That's around when we started getting closer. But now we're thick as thieves unless we're in the same room. So <laughs> exactly. I think if we're in the if we're in the same room for you know a day, I think we're okay. Yeah. If we go shopping, that's definitely something's gonna happen. Um, yeah. If there's like a a week together. Oh God, it's too much time. It's way too much time for us. <laughs> well, Sadie and I, we have our moments too sometimes. Yeah, right? we're not perfect. <laughs> We might sound like we are. <laughs> it's yeah. really coming across that way. So. I think the biggest stuff when we both lived together was just like I wanted to hang out with your cool friends, and you were like, "No, like I don't want you to hang out with me now," which makes sense. It's a little eight-year-old, but yeah. Sometimes when you live in a house with a lot of kids, you just need some breaks. Yeah, and need to close the door to your room. Yeah. Well, we are so excited to have our sisters here with us and we are so excited to share this issue with you guys yeah it's been a really special one to work on and we hope you enjoy it as much as we did yes. so sit back relax and enjoy issue 15 sisters All right, first up in the issue is Winter Sherrod. And I met Winter when we did a show together with The Living Room, a solo ensemble. And Winter is such a powerful performer and an equally powerful writer. Mm -hmm. We're really glad to have Winter on. Yes, it's very exciting to have her and her piece, Hey Sis. Hey, sis, I love you. Things are hard right now. Things are hard all of the time, but please understand that I love you more than anything else on this earth. I stand in awe of the tight, kinky curls that frame your head, reminiscent of a halo, your long, shiny braids that flow past your waist and float you through the world. The teeny-weeny afro cropped close to your skull leaves me breathless time and time again. The laughter that escapes from your lips, often mistaken for an abrasive cackle, is the reason for life itself. A laughter that is unapologetic, a laughter that leaves you exposed and reveals a glimpse into your realest self, a self that smiles in the face of trauma, a self that dares to exist boldly in a place where it should not belong. I love how you dare to exist boldly in a place where you should not belong. I love how you dare to dance boldly in a place that is not understanding of you. A dance that moves in rhythm with your laughter and tears. A dance that lifts you off the earth and into the sun. A dance that twists and turns and curves and stomps on its own time. 
You dance boldly in a place that is not understanding of you, in a place that does not deserve you, nowhere deserves you. People stand in awe of your skin, deep and brown, soft to touch, but rough in reality, coated with the agony and pain of your mother and your mother's mother and your mother's mother's mother, soft to touch, but hard to look at, hard to see, hard to accept. But I accept you, sis, for all that you are. You are not a one-trick pony put on display for the world to see. You are a human. I give you permission to bark at anyone who has eyes that linger on you for too long. I give you permission to scream loudly when they call you a goddess and then proceed to speak over you. I give you permission to exist, to exist in time and space. I love how you exist, how you exist in time and space. Baby girl, you are special. You are the light, you are the love, you are the laughter, you are the pain, you are the anger, you are the frustration, you are the reason for it all. Hey sis, things are hard right now. Things are hard all of the time, but please understand that I love you more than anything on this earth. All right, next up in the issue is my baby cake, Sadie Wolf. Uh, Jen, pass the tissues. There you go. <laughs> I feel it coming. The tears are coming already. <laughs> yes, uh, Sadie is now our youngest Scout and Birdie artist that we've ever had on. 17. Yes, and we are very thrilled to have her. So please enjoy Sadie's piece, I Am the Sister My Sister Waited For. <laughs> My mom never found out what gender her babies were before they were born. When she was pregnant with me, she knew she had to because if I was a boy, my older sister Anna, who was in the second grade at the time, would have to be ready for three brothers in the house. She'd say, if this baby is another boy, I'm moving to Florida with Bubby. Luckily, she didn't have to because I was a girl. She runs down the hall of the doctor's office saying, it's a girl, it's a girl. I knew my sister was going to be my best friend because before I was even born, she was excited and was waiting for me. I like to think when I was little, I was Anna's doll. She would dress me up and play with me. I would go everywhere with her. We would play dolls, but I could never play with her beloved American Girl doll or Beanie Babies. They were just too precious to her. I always wanted what my sister had. If she were to get a toy, I was right behind her wanting it as well. I was so much like my sister that people would start calling me Little Anna. I remember one day going into school with my mom, Anna, and two older brothers. While walking in, the janitor, Tommy, said to me while he opened the door for us, How's it going, Little Anna? I don't remember him calling me by my real name since. As I grew up, Anna became less of a mother to me but more of a best friend. We would have YouTube viewing parties every Friday night. 
She would show me her favorite music videos, which was Mika and Ingrid Michaelson at the time. This is where I learned my first swear word. Today, we still listen to the same songs and reminisce about those times. She would give me advice on almost everything. Little things like what to wear are bigger things like growing up and being your own person. She would say, I went through an awkward phase when I was in middle school and you never did. I thought that was funny because in middle school I always felt awkward. At least I didn't rock the layer t-shirt ponytail look every day like Anna did. Now that I'm 17 and Anna is 24, we are still best friends but we both help each other out and get mutual advice. It is like when I was young and needed my sister now, my sister needs me. She will text me or call me to ask about work problems, relationship questions, even though I'm not really an expert in that department, outfit issues, or anything under the sun. She will call me and just say, Sadie, I'm in a funk and don't know what to do. I will give her an answer almost like a pre-recorded voice memo because she calls me saying that more than you would think. I will say, Anna, try making yourself a yummy lunch or go on a walk or clean your room. She never did the last option. I will call her and tell her I'm in a funk, mostly because of friendship issues, body negativity, and stress. Lots of stress. She will always say the same thing as well, but still helps me every time. Remember when I was in middle school and high school? I was so awkward. You are way cooler than I was. I help her and she helps me. Even though my sister waited for me, my sister was the friend I always needed. We're here with Ty Maxson, who is sharing his song, To Theodo, with us. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I have a beautiful home. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to Ty's music for the first time a couple months ago, and I was just overcome with how beautiful your work is, and this song... Um, popped out of me right away. Oh, thank you. And yeah. then when it matched with the theme, I was so glad that yeah. we were going to be able to feature it in Sisters. Mm -hmm. uh, me too. I was when you uh, initially contacted me, I was wondering, ah, why? I don't think I have anything about that. And I was like, oh yeah, of course. I, it's a song that's directly about sisters and, and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, tell us a little bit about how the theme Sisters relates to this song. Sure. Well, um, I was mentioned a little earlier, like, um, it's a very literal song for me. Uh, I think everything in the song kind of uh, actually went down in, in my real life. And uh, that's not too different from most of the stuff that I do, but I, there's, I'm a little bit more um, liberal with, like, you know, people and, and just description and, and just the general poetics of things. But this was pretty much just like a testimony of like something that happened. Um, my uh, grandmother, her name, she went by Teddy, but her name was Theoda. But you wouldn't dare call her that because she would get mad at you. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, was such a cool name. She hated it. Couldn't, you can, couldn't get a picture of her very easily either. But um, a few years after her husband, my grandpa passed away, um, she passed away too, which happens, you know, seems like that happens sometimes. People, when their lover, loves pass away, they it's not too much longer, it seems. But um, 
somewhere in the middle there, I got, I just sort of, while she was alone, living alone, I started visiting her a lot and just sort of, I always had a special relationship, I guess. She was like, she always talked to me in a way that I could understand when I was a kid. Mm. And that always like meant a lot to me because I feel like I was kind of a hard to handle kid in a way. You wouldn't know that now, I guess, because I'm pretty mellow, I suppose, but not in my mind. <laughs> but she, she could talk to me, and so I, I kind of rekindled this sort of relationship with her, and she ended up giving me my uh, great-grandfather's banjo, and it had been passed along through the family, and it, it just ended up in somebody's attic, and it had, like, the original case and the original strings, and... Uh, she started telling me these stories that, you know, people who have lived a long time tend to have, but nobody asks them about them, you know. And she remembers, you know, dancing on the tables when she she and her uh, sister were probably like six years old in late night bars. Her That side of the family were always big drinkers. <laughs> and uh, just fascinating history, somewhat tragic, you know. When I was a kid, I couldn't really... I could differentiate sort of like the demeanor between my dad's side of the family, who were sort of like stoic farmers, and my mom's side of the family, who were, um, now I know, like more into drinking and stuff, but they were the fun fun ones. I love my dad's <laughs> side. Don't get me wrong, but I was like, when do we, we, you know, when you split the Christmases, I couldn't wait to go to my mom's side. But you grow up, and then you realize the, you know, kind of the, the darkness a little bit that runs through everybody's family, but... Um, so this banjo, yeah, it was passed along um, in, in, through some of those people's hands, and it came to me. And then I just started playing it, and um, one day I played it for her and her sister, Mary, because they asked me. I didn't really know how to play the banjo, but I sort of plucked along. Actually, Mary showed me a couple of chords, but so that that's, that is in the verse, or that in the song. And then the last time I visited her on, I guess, her deathbed, I played some songs for her, and and that's in there. Kind of went to say hello and goodbye. So, um, and then eventually, um, at her, at her funeral, what that sort of day entailed was just kind of put in there as well. So, uh, I feel like the song was kind of a, a gift. It seems like people uh, are drawn to that, and that means a lot to me. It's it was a few years ago, but it always kind of comes back up, and I try to try to keep playing it. Yeah. yeah. Both of my grandparents on one side recently passed, or one of them passed earlier, and then oh, I'm sorry so. To hear that. But I think it's such a beautiful way of of dealing with that because I think sometimes we want to suppress obviously uncomfortable feelings, but specifically like losing someone or feeling like that their memories are sort of gone from you. Mm. But being able to make it into something that other people can experience is, is such a beautiful way of like holding on to their memory and. Mm. You said before that that was the actual banjo that plays in the song. Yeah, and it wouldn't stay in tune very well, so that was a <laughs> tricky little line to, to figure out. But we finally just kind of, I think, put some tape around one of the um, machine heads, they call it, and uh, I, I did finally get a pass to keep it in tune. I've since got it. Um, this thing had, like, the original, like, a pigskin bass on a banjo and it had grease all over it from my grandpa's hands and just mm. years of playing, and it's a really beautiful thing. Um, I had it replaced and kind of fixed up, which was felt a little funny about because it, it was just so beautiful in its original form, but I, it wasn't playable. So I took it to a banjo surgeon, and he fixed it up for me, <laughs> and I'm still learning, but uh, 
this pigskin base head I have up on the wall now, and it looks like the moon, like a yellow yeah. moon. It's just because it's so dirty and old. And it's, uh, it's interesting because on the back of that are signatures from all of the people that it's passed through ownership. And uh, this might be kind of like a side story, but one of these people, his name was, uh, well, maybe I won't say his name, but he was my mm -hmm. mom's uncle, and he was one of these drinkers that I was talking about. And uh, he was uh, he spent some time in jail, and just I've heard lots of crazy stories about this guy. So to see his signature was heavy. And uh, I met him once, you know, and he was actually, uh, he, he came back into the States, uh, to Michigan, because I think there was a warrant out for his arrest, but he was sort of on his last legs and he wanted to make amends with the family. So I met him at a family reunion and he was uh, paralyzed. He had uh, a patch over his eye, he looked like a big old pirate and, and a wheelchair and under his wheelchair lived a small mean dog. So if you <laughs> got too close, this thing would bite you, you know? Oh. And I remember just shaking this guy's hand and my whole like hand disappearing in his fist. And um, it was it was so strange to, to to have that memory and to know what I know about him now. He's, he's so nice to me. And even I, he sent my brothers and I like Ziploc, dingy Ziploc bags full of baseball cards for, for Christmas. Like that's how much he wanted to like make amends with the family. Yeah. Um, not saying he was a good guy. I don't think he... I don't think he was, but he was kind of a, a mean bastard is what I hear. But uh, he had that banjo, too, so it's like a very interesting relic that of, of my family. And now mm. I'm rambling. So. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to think of the objects that get passed around at family, and maybe not even in such a linear way. Sure. But, like, they bounce around through the family just like whoever is going to put them to use. Like, that's yeah. such a... a a banjo is like a, a tool, yeah. so it's like only for people who will actually utilize it in a way, which is yeah, interesting. Absolutely, and there was some sort of division between my grandma and her sister, my Aunt Mary, who's also in the song. I loved, loved her to, to death as well, but she wasn't so sure she wanted her father's banjo to go to me because um, she, she felt like that was almost not keeping it in the family, like you know, her division, she wanted to keep it with hers and her own, and that was exactly why my grandma protested, because she said, he'll actually play it. Mm -hmm. I was, it's been nice kind of being the musician in the family, because I've inherited, like, a bunch of old records and banjo mm -hmm. and a old Victrola, like those kind of wind-up. Uh, oh, wow. It's just, so it's kind of neat. I'm just sort of, like, the older I got, the, like, more stuff I started garnering from my um, extended family, so uh, I'm glad that she, it's like a prized possession for sure. Um, hard Have to play, you though. been <laughs> able to get any use of the baseball cards? <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, I, I, have a, I have a big box of baseball cards. I was really, weird thing is, is like, I've never been into sports, but I was like way into baseball cards, so for a while there, I was like, cool, baseball cards, this guy gets me. <laughs> I couldn't tell you like anything about sports. I think sports that's right like now. the 90s in a nutshell. Yeah, it's yeah. just a little album box full of baseball cards. Oh my gosh. And it was also that thing, and my grandma still does this, that she like decides you have a hobby now. So she's like, <laughs> you like coins, so I'm going to get you quarters, like 
the state quarters every year. Oh yeah. Or like you like baseball cards, so here's basically. So I I just had all these hobbies that I never initiated, because <laughs> she just wanted something to buy yeah. for her grandson. My grandma decided that my little brother likes spoons, so uh, <laughs> like the state, like the country spoons. Yeah, yeah. So he has so many spoons, and he adopted it eventually yeah, because yeah. after you have like more than twenty, it's. You're in it. You're committed, yeah. Yeah, so now you know that she's passed. He continues to get them, <laughs> but still, in the beginning, I think he was like, what? am I supposed to eat with these? Yeah, yeah it was, uh, uh, and honestly, I'm grateful for it, too. I still have them all stashed at my parents' house. So sometimes I'll probably have to go through and see, see what's mm-hmm. in there, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this album came out like five years ago. Mm. Okay. So I'm really happy that it uh, resonated with you guys, and thanks for inviting and listening but um i've been for the last like three or four years working on a new record and uh i would uh, just say that it's um that album sort of took place during a storm in my life yeah. in a lot of different ways losing people you know uh health wise and stuff and and this new one is sort of like the wreckage of that storm and it's sort of tied to that in a way and it's should be out in a couple months, hopefully sometime soon, but we're just wrapping it up, and it's called um, Rooms Rooms Within Rooms as of now. But I love that title. Thanks. Yeah. And if someone would want to listen to that or to listen to other songs that we're not playing on Scout and Birdie, how could they do that? Yeah, um, Ty Maxson is my name, and uh, I have a band camp, so Ty Maxson at band camp, you'll see lots of records and stuff there. And uh, I think some videos on the... Yeah, a YouTuber, whatever, <laughs> whatever the kids call it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for being Thanks here for with us. Me. Thank yeah. you for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank and you. And everyone at home, please enjoy Ty's song, To Theoda. i
All right. Next up in the issue, we have Emily Matapusi-Para, who you will recognize from many, many issues of Scout and Birdie. Yes. Emily is one of our Scout and Birdie favorites, so we're so thrilled to have her back again with another piece. That will be read by the lovely Jennifer Keel. (laughs) So please enjoy her piece on meeting my brother's new girlfriend. I see her mane before I see the rest of her, long locks tussled and tossed behind her head, attached to the body of one of those women who use their hair as punctuation. She's nine years closer to girlhood than I am, her weekend wear a uniform of youth and aspiration, gold in ears, neck, wrists, tight ruffled shirt, designer bag, jeans, and high, high heels. Her eyes perfectly gilted, her cheeks bronzed, her perfume dispersing a wide radius. Her back is straight and grips strong on my brother's arm, guiding her towards our greeting. At the bar, the mane floats and flexes of its own volition, vibrating with each shot downed. I sip my Chardonnay and think about how her hair represents a history, like counting rings on a tree stump. The ends have been there since she was about 19, the middle, her graduation from college, where she met my brother about six months ago, a point in growth could be marked perhaps three inches from her head. An inch closer, they first slept together, up near her ears, their first I love yous, and close in, I can see a hint of gray covered up. She quickly tucks a strand behind her ear and smiles at me. My own hair is no history lesson, only going back about six months or so. No match for these splendorous blonde tresses, this heavy mantle of femininity, attached to this possible future sister-in-law. Next up in the issue, we have our dear friend Tyler Smith, and you'll remember Tyler from our Roots issue with his piece, The Nicole Kidman. We're so excited to have Tyler back with an equally delightful piece. And if you're able to log on to scoutandbirdie.com and read along while listening to this piece, do so because it is greatly enhanced by having the visual text in front of you. It's a very fun one. So please enjoy Tyler's piece. A letter found sticking out of Bonnie Mae Mayonnaise's 1953 to 2015 typewriter. The following text was found sticking out of Bonnie Mae Mayonnaise's 1953 to 2015 typewriter. From what we can tell, it seems to be written during her very last stroke, perhaps at its climax. Doctors tell us this miraculous stroke might have lasted for a straight four and a half days. If we had to guess, the severity of this attack caused her great confusion, and she attempted writing a letter to both an executive, mm, at Disney, and her sis, 
at the same time. Enjoy. I recently found out that I was told that Disney is potentially making Elsa a lesbian in the soon-to-be-released sequel to my favorite daughter's favorite film, Frozen. What the heck? Please note how I call it a film and not a movie. Clearly, I mean business. So please take my concern here with the utmost of serious. Hello, sis. Well, I, I have to have my left hip operated on again. I had it scoped and a tear repaired with some arthritis removed in 1983. <clears throat> had the MRO yesterday afternoon. Now just waiting to see what the heck I did and when Dr. Finkelsberger can do the repair again. Shit! Going to make early supper now and have a little, uh, you know, uh, a lot of wine. <laughs> wine! This is simply unacceptable. Elsa? A lesbian? They live in Norway. There's plenty of other fish she can catch. Like literal fish, not metaphorical vaginal fish. <laughs> Do you get my joke? Anyway, I cannot let this happen. Let it go. Get it? The world is not going to become a gay place, and, and your pushing of this sort of lifestyle via a recently iconic heroine is not going to change anything. If anything, it's going, 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 going to confuse millions of quadruple young girls out there. The only closet I want to see Elsa come out of is... Ding! Not a gay one. There, I said it. I mean, come on. It's bad enough that I take my daughter to the grocery store and there's an entire freezer devoted to uh, vegan chicken fingers. And, and now this! I want a total refund for our vacation to Disney World last, last February. Like, a total refund. I accepted cashier's checks. Please note that I, I spelt it check and not check because I'm seriousness. I want my money back, you agenda pushing commies. If Elsa is a lesbian, I, I hate that I even have to type this. All of us mothers out here are going to have to sit our daughters down and tell them that it's not okay to be lesbian and have sex with your sisters. <laughs> because let's be honest, that's what's gonna happen. Isn't it not? Spoiler alert, wee-woo, wee-woo, Elsa is going to date rape Anna. Unacceptable. I won't stand for it. Sure, sure, personally speaking, my daughter, Charlotte, doesn't have a sister that she can date rape, but some little girls out there do, in fact, have sisters that they can't... No, I don't, I, do, I don't want to type out date rape again. I really don't. <laughs> but what if 
Huh? What if one day my little Charlotte XOXOXOXO, who is just now about to enter perimenopause, gets a sister? Huh? What then? Are you at Mr. Disney? going to come have the talk with her about how it's not okay to change into a lesbian and fist her very own sister? I don't think you will. You'll do nothing but encourage her. And I'd really like to remind you right now that 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 I want my, my, mon my, money, my money back for our vacation to Disney World last February. A total refund. Refund. A total refund. I accept farm bill credit. Hey, sis. Hope all is well with you and yours. Just to let you in the news, and please pass this on to Paul. I will also Facebook her. Great Uncle Don Costco passed away. Viewing is today from 2 to 2.15, and Mass is tomorrow at 10. Morning. I know you can't make it on such short notice, but I thought you would want to send a card. It is in the newspaper gazette online, and you can leave a message there also. Love to all, especially you. I know what you're thinking. Great. Another conservative point of view, and you'll be right if that's what's running through your big old noggin right about now. I love biscuits and gravy, and a cool Miller light with no spicy lime. I love my porch. Sis, my BP has been high. But what you going to do? I love to let my dog lick my feet while I report my neighbors to Officer Coldcut for keeping their outside light on when they're not out there. They do that all the time, you know, and it's plain as can be disrespectful. We are hashtag suffering from an hash brown tag, energy hash brown tag crisis right about now. All of the super democratic American cities like Big Apple and Los Angeles and Southeast Croatia are sucking up untied states' power. And I won't stand for it much longer. I will not let that sort of hippie attitude make its way into my town. I do not... I do not know what it, what Venmo is. Okay, dope. Okay? No, I do not actually have a doctor, but I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm upset, and that's what my, never mind, sis. Can't get down the flip-kicking steps to get the wine, so room and coke it is. Diet Coke, of course. I am a damn lady. Stop! Lost weight for Sammy's wedding last month, and I'm, I'm keeping it off. Teen, why, wiener bikinis. Adders, I don't understand why it is this way. It is, it is, it is. Why do I have to watch something? I don't understand. Mm, isn't it enough that I just don't like the thought of Elzebub smooching up on her sis? Isn't it enough that I just want my money back? So, fine. Okay, I get it. Okay, get off my dick. I understand. I uh, I understand that 
My family's vacation to Disney World was in July of 1979, and it was just me that went because my husband Hank left me for his cousin Jam the month before. You owe me that, right? Thank you very much. You owe me for spending so much dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign that I really didn't have to begin with. I was sad and heartbroken. You took advantage of me, and I will not let that lesbian mindset take advantage of sweet Elsa's brain like that in the same way that you did on my trip. <laughs> I have to replace tea carpet in my basement. Last year's flood really fucked it up, and I need to reconcile the issue. That's where I watch my movies and host my Easter, 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 Easter luncheons. My ham and cheese tea time sandwiches will go soggy if they have to be down there with my current carpet. Elsa does need not eat carpet, especially her sister's carpet. I will not stand for that. I would rather watch her try and fuck the snowman. I will not die. All right, we're here with Lydia House, who is sharing with us her series of watercolors, Little Women. Um, you'll remember Lydia from her work in our Passing Notes issue. Welcome back. Thank you so much. <laughs> we're so glad to have you here again, Lydia. I know, I'm so excited. And what a beautiful apartment. That's, well, studio. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> apartment, studio. Combo. <laughs> I was so excited that you asked me to uh, do this issue because I'm, again, like thinking about women a lot right now, and I felt very, like, empowered to take on the, like, idea of sisters. For me, I was like, gotta make it big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's exciting, this issue, sisters, because people have, like, their personal connection to sisters, mm -hmm. as in, like, oh, I have a sister, or I don't have a sister, or, like, family connections but there's also the feeling of which I think your piece is tackling more so than others of like global sisters and like mm -hmm. sisters all around the world and the connection that we have as women or as like non-binary people in the world together. Well, I think a lot of people believe that the relationship between women can be really competitive. And actually, I found just this like support network of people who really look out for me in ways that I don't think, a, like, a man would, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and there's that kind of, like, universal altruism that I think a lot of women extend to each other. And um, especially in a city where it can be scary, where you're just, like, always looking out for strangers. Or in, like, I do comedy, and, like, women in comedy are great advocates for other women. And art. I, you know what, <laughs> just globally, <laughs> I really believe that. Yeah. I was recently listening to something about how male friendship is very like hard to come by and they just can't achieve the same kind of quality that female friendships are where like you can just talk about your feelings and go to someone's house and just be so there for each other mm -hmm. and I think it's just so special to have that kind of bond and it is something that just ties us together 
But I think it's really sad that men feel that they can't have that relationship with other men mm-hmm. and often, like, come to women for that source of emotional support, which I imagine that must be really isolating. Oh, totally. I can imagine it would be. But, um... I'm here to talk, guys, if you need it, but also mm-hmm. talk to each other and um, be vulnerable, I think. Um, I almost cried today in, like, a professional setting where, like, a guy was making me feel really small and I had to tell myself, like, no, uh, you can't cry because you'll be seen as weak. And um, actually, I think I just saw a thing today where Hillary Clinton was like, you can cry at work. And maybe she was like, I don't think she could, and I think she was upset about that. I didn't read the article. That's the <laughs> larger debate about the evils of people sharing stuff on Facebook that we don't have to get into. But, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I feel it all the time, too, as someone who is highly emotional, um, that expressing myself is often in the form of crying. And I think even sometimes we judge ourselves as like, oh, don't do that. I don't want to be seen as weak. And it's a shame because it's a extremely legitimate way of feeling your feelings and getting your feelings out. I mean, you're actually, like, getting rid of, like, tears. You're, you're getting things out when you cry, and it would be beneficial probably for people to be able to express that more readily. And if we all just had, like, a crying room at work, like, we so need to cry. <laughs> like a, a spare closet, you know? Yeah. Some comfy yeah. cushions. <laughs> just want to be swaddled sometimes, just lightly. Oh, not, yeah. not for very long. <laughs> <laughs> like, lightly. Um... Yeah, I cry. I find myself crying. Um, there's this, like, bush right by my house. It's just, like, there are a couple little leaves on it, and they're so bright and optimistic, and it's so cold and, like, rainy here that I, every time I walk by, I talk to plants. Um, it sounds so crazy, but, like, as uh, an illustrator, um, I don't know. I feel like you have to, like, think of the world very imaginatively, and I'm trying to access that, and I'm, like, exploring that emotion deeper to try to find more, like, inspiration for my art so it's like talking to bushes and crying but Mm -hmm. it it, I like I don't know I like myself a lot um I'm feeling increasingly like more understood for who I am as I am in my like solo characters in my work I put a lot of myself into it and I actually have gotten a lot of like you got it going on girl which (laughs) is very cool that's what I love about you personally and your art and your work that we're showcasing on Scout and Birdie is that it has this extreme essence of you, of Lydia, and there isn't, like, an apology for that. You are very truly yourself, and I think that your confidence in that and your ability to, like, see the world and cry at, you know, leaves that make you feel But they're so cute, and they're, like, <laughs> new to earth, and they're just coming out, and it's so cold. <laughs> it makes me so happy. Aww. And to be able to see those beautiful little moments like that, it seems very true to your art form and to who you are as a person, and I think it's lovely to bring that. It's like crying at the joy, which is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of, like, happy tears recently. Um, I, I We were just talking about this, but I know what I want my voice to look like, and I technically, I'm very self-taught. So earlier I was talking about the identity of, like, a folk artist and how I'm, like, learning a lot of skills, but I'm excited to, um, I think this piece is more technically gifted than the last one that I did, and I'm just looking to put that same kind of soul into it. But you're catching me at the beginning of what I hope is, like, a lifetime of drawing. Um, Or, like, Henri Matisse in his later years was, like, cutting out pieces of paper. Maybe I'll, like, decoupage the way that he did, like, (laughs) in my later years. But, uh, yeah, I can't see myself stopping, I don't think. It's 
Beautiful. I don't want you to stop. <laughs> yeah, good. Come back all the time. <laughs> I had a guy yesterday who, um, my friend told me he's really good at praising artwork. And I was like, what do you think um, this piece is worth? Because I want to like sell it for a profit. And he was like, oh, yeah, definitely $15. And I was like, that wouldn't even cover the cost of materials. Um, and I, it was really, not like I was hit by a bus, but it was very much like, finding that internal like I think I'm worth something and also this is a expensive thing to do and find it's weird I'm a socialist and I don't I like I probably would have done well in like communist Russia I think <laughs> for my no actually because they persecuted artists if they didn't persecute artists um <laughs> that would have been great but um yeah it's definitely like weird to tie like an internal source of validation to like a price point I think I'm just on a rant because it was so like no it it um, totally seems valid because you put so much energy into something it's so much emotional work that you should be compensated for that kind of thing and it's hard to figure out how to value that when you're like growing and learning mm -hmm. and sometimes you have to measure it and like am I getting something really emotional from this project? Am I getting something monetarily? Am I learning something from doing a project? It feeds you in different ways. And so, <laughs> and sometimes the most important one can be the monetary one when you just like, like need to get supplies. <laughs> I know, You're it like, like actually feeds you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also, I feel like it's almost like it's being adopted by somebody and I want to make sure they're going to take care of it. Mm -hmm. And I want the, I just like a little test. Maybe I should give them like a survey or something before I sell art to them. <laughs> you can buy my artwork. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like what kind of personality type are you? Yeah. <laughs> so if someone listening to this podcast thinks that they've got what it takes to buy some of your artwork. <laughs> I want to show you pictures of like a recently like sprouted bush and if you cry you can have a piece. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's so people who are listening and, and crying just at the thought of it oh, God, wanted to get so yeah. like a hold of you. How could they see your work, more of your work and Oh yeah. Um I am I keep my Instagram very fresh. <laughs> it's at Lydia L Y D I A underscore in the house. <laughs> Which is funny because I'm Lydia House. Um, I don't. I don't think I want to change it. I think I like it. Um, yeah, that's good. There's a link to my Etsy, which is about to get a remodel. So that's cool. But um, yeah, there's lots of cool stuff on my Instagram. So I hope you like it. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for being with us again, Lydia. Yeah, and everyone, be sure to go to scoutandbirdie.com and check out Little Women. Next up in the issue, we have Jerome Riley. And you will remember Jerome from our fireworks issue and our diving in issue. Yes, back at it. So please enjoy Jerome's piece, An Ode to Sister Who Has No Other Name. An ode to sister who has no other name. You descended from her womb penultimately, 12 years, 
exactly just enough time to cushion our fall from the weight of her gravity. Sister, who has no other name, has been my great dame in times of despair. When their words would ignite like crackling flames, a blaze so voluminous it would tickle my toes at night, ardently crashing my body with waves, I could only be soothed by her touch. She'd tell me if they'd die, we'd take over the kingdom. So we'd wade in their destruction, and reveling in inconspicuous whispers, she'd rock me into a slumber so sweet. Sister, who has no other name, imparted her wisdom with mellifluous journeys to distant worlds of endless wonderment. From tranquil sun-kissed meadows to raucous industrial playgrounds, there were no ends to our delight. And when torment rained down upon us, she'd umbrella her locks to shield us from the wreckage, bellowing tunes that sent fiends fleeing. See, you are the reason I am and have been and will be. For if it weren't for you, I'd have been engulfed by the flames of their rage, branded by deceit. I'd have been flat and insepid, an uncultured skin. I'd have been sent back to the stars, an unprevented accident. And so for you, my sister, who has no other name, I write this ode. May it illuminate your path when you find that it has been shrouded by darkness. May it be your shelter from the rains of torment. May it be your joy, your saving grace, as you've been to me throughout my race. You descended from her womb penultimately. Twelve years. Exactly just enough time to cushion my fall. Last up in the issue, we have Anna Rose Wolf. That's me. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> and we are so excited to share with you her piece, The Four Children. Every spring, my family would host our Passover Seder. Seder means order. There is a specific order to how a Seder is structured. It was my job to recite the order. Kadesh Urchatz, Karpas Yachatz, Magid Rachsa, Motzi Matza, Maror Korech, Shulchan Orech, Tzafun Barech, Halel Nirtzah. Our dining room table would have two sets of its leaves added in, making it stretch over the dining room rug. The folding chairs would have been taken up from the basement and placed around the table to fill in the empty spots where the existing wood chairs with cushions weren't. Lastly, the brown glossy folding chair from my dad's desk would have been placed at a corner of the table, save for Sadie, the baby of the family. There are six of us in my family, my mother, my dad, and four children just like the four children in Haggadah. 
We'd have placed a Haggadah, the book that takes you through the Seder, at every seat. My mom and I would have already planned out who'd sit where. My dad at the head of the table, always, since he led the Seder. My grandma at the other head on the opposite side as a way of honoring her. Sadie would sit next to her at the corner of the table since there wasn't enough space for everyone. She'd have a pillow to sit on, boosting her up so that her head could be seen. I'd sit by my mom, and my mom would sit by the door to the kitchen so that she could get up and serve food easily. David and Noah would be closer to my dad, and aunts and uncles and cousins would be scattered between us, depending on who we wanted to sit next to. Should we get going? My dad would always ask my mom before we started. My mother placed my dad at the front of the table to show that he led the Seder, but really we all knew who was leading that night. Let's get this show on the road, my mom would say, and then we'd turn to page one in our Haggadah. Us Wolf siblings all went to private Jewish school, so it was a moment of pride for my parents when they'd pass things off to us to lead or have us explain meanings behind the traditions, and I was more than happy to take the lead. I loved our Seder, the order. I loved the roles I fulfilled every year that kept our Seder going. It was my role to recite the order of the Seder. Kadesh, Urchatz, Urchatz, washing hands. My dad would turn to me and I would go into the kitchen to wash. And while I was gone, my mom would explain that I was washing on behalf of everyone. Since the room was packed and if everyone was to get up and go into the kitchen to wash, we'd be here till midnight, she'd always say and everyone would laugh. And I'd pour the water from a cup onto my right hand. Echad shtayim shalosh. Then my left. Echad shtayim shalosh. Sometimes David, Noah, or Sadie would go with me as well. If Sadie was joining me that year, I'd lift her up so that she could reach the sink. I'd count with her. Echad shtayim shalosh. Echad shtayim shalosh. And then help her dry her hand on the kitchen towel. In the Haggadah, there are four children. My dad would assign us each our roles. Every year we'd be cast the same. I was always the wise child, the oldest, the one turned to to explain things like the significance of the shank bone on the Seder plate, which was a really easy one. David was always the wicked child, though he wasn't often wicked, just different, a lone wolf in a family of wolves. He was turned to to help with Kiddush, the blessing over wine. Noah was always the simple child, simple in that he was content to spend his night drinking as much grape juice as he could, until my mother would tell him, that's enough now, Noah. He wasn't old enough to be turned to for much, maybe just to help with Kiddush and to sing some songs. And then there's Sadie. Sadie was always the child who does not know enough to ask, the baby of our family, her face just barely high enough sitting on her chair and pillow to see over the table. Her curls put up into a half ponytail with her freckled cheeks and her blue eyes peeking over. Sadie is eight years younger than me, and I believed for a long time that I had wished her into existence. Too young to have many Seder roles, maybe she'd sing some songs with Noah. But every year, it was our role together to open the door for the prophet Eliyahu, to welcome him into our Seder, but that part didn't come until close to the end. Throughout the night, it was inevitable that my father would, at some point, turn to David or Noah to lead us through some section or answer some question, and they'd both blank under the pressure, forgetting how to read the Hebrew or not knowing why the shank bone was on the Seder plate, which really is an easy one. To which my mother would say, oh, I am so glad I paid thousands of dollars for you both to go to private Jewish school. And everyone, including David and Noah, would laugh. Throughout the night, it was also inevitable that Sadie would cry. 
The time most likely for tears was during the asking of the four questions, a role that falls on the youngest child present. She'd stand up on the folding chair placed at the side of the table, and one year it collapsed as she started to stand up on it, which brought the tears earlier than normal. My mother had to scoop her up and hold her for the rest of the night. On all other years, she stood up successfully and sang the first few questions from memory. Doing just fine until she got to the, on all other nights we don't dip, why on this night do we dip twice, which was always where the act started to go downhill. With all eyes on her, her little voice would crack, which was a sure sign that she was about to cry, and tears would flow down her freckled cheeks, around which time my mom would join in to help her mostly and partially because she cannot resist leading. And then I join in as well, for the same two reasons, and we'd finish out the four questions together, Sadie pushing through the tears, face bright red, wiping her eyes with her sleeve. Maybe I'd go sit by her for a bit, or she'd come sit by me and my mom. Maybe I'd take her to the bathroom to help her blow her nose. Kadesh urchatz, karpas yachatz, magid rachsa. Washing hands a second time. I'd get up again, heading to the kitchen. I'd wash my hands, right hand first, achat shtayim shalosh, and then left, achat shtayim shalosh. This time I'd say the blessing, whispering it to myself as I dried my hands with a towel, or whispering it to Sadie or David or Noah if they joined me. Al netilat daim. Kadesh urchatz, karpas yachatz, magid rachsa, motzi matzah. We'd say the blessing over the matzah and eat some for the first time that year. Mmm, looking forward to eight days of this, my mom would say, and we'd all laugh. Around that time, all four of us would make eye contact, David, Noah, Sadie, and me. I'd stand up and announce that I was taking Sadie to the bathroom, and then Noah and David would announce that they were joining us, and the adults would hold in their smiles, knowing what we were doing. I'd signal to David, who'd grab the middle matzah, the afikomen, from inside the matzah cover. He'd put it behind his back, and then we'd fumble over each other, leaving the crowded dining room together. When in the kitchen, we'd smile big smiles, holding our hands over our mouth so that the grown-ups in the next room didn't hear us. I'd whisper for Sadie and David and Noah to look around for a good place to hide the afikomen, this piece of matzah, and then we'd tiptoe around frantically suggesting places, like in the printer, on the top shelf of the pantry, under the couch cushion, or on top of the ceiling fan. I'd have the final say, the grown-ups have never found it yet, and we do not want this to be the first year. After it was placed, we'd walk back into the dining room proudly, and I'd look down at Sadie smirking to herself as I hoisted her back into her folding chair. Kadesh urchatz, karpas yachatz, magid rachsa. Motsi matzah, maror korech, shulchan orech. We'd eat the Passover meal, a big meal, and I'd help my mom bring out each course. Gefilte fish, salad, charoset, matzah ball soup, brisket, stuffing, carrots, safoon. My dad would read the part of the Haggadah that explains how the last thing we eat has to be the afikomen, that piece of matzah that is now hidden in the printer or on the ceiling fan. And he'd look, and then get help from the other grown-ups at the Seder, and he'd clown around, looking in places we'd already hid it in past years, so as not to find it by accident. He'd ask Sadie and Noah where it was, and they'd squeal, holding their hands over their mouth. Eventually, my dad would pull out four crisp $2 bills, 
fresh from the bank, and he'd hand them to each of us, and Sadie would show him where the afikoman had been hid. Barech. Near the end of the Seder, Sadie and I would open the door for Eliyahu. Once open, Eliyahu would come inside to our Seder. He'd stay only long enough to drink out of his silver cup full of wine that we'd left for him on the table. He'd drink out of his cup and then he'd leave. But we know he'd been there because when we'd come back to the table, his cup would be close to or completely empty. I knew that right when we stepped out onto the front porch, my mother would pick up Eliyahu's silver cup and quickly drink the wine, leaving only a bit left on the bottom. And although I'd known this since I was little, that my mom drank the wine, I'd hold Sadie close so my body blocked her view back into the house so she'd really think Eliyahu had come. Her is coming, she'd always say before we'd go to the door. Sadie had a hard time with pronouns, saying her in place of any other, whether grammatically it should have been a she or whether the person was male or female, her was coming. We'd open the door and be met with the cold wind. I'd wrap my arms around Sadie with her standing in front of me. I'd be able to cover most of her body that way, taller than her and with my head tucked over hers. Our family behind us would sing, Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu Hatishvi. And we'd sing together as well, looking out over the street and our neighbor's houses. The wise child leading the one who does not know enough to ask. Each year, we'd open the door together, and as the years went by, her little body grew taller, until last year when she was almost as tall as me, and I stood on my tiptoes to be able to wrap my arms around her to keep her warm in the cold and block her head from peeking back into the house. This year, I didn't go home for Passover. It was the first year in my life that I wasn't there. David didn't make it back either. He and Noah are both in college now. Sadie is the only one of the four children still at home. And Sadie is taller than me now. David and Noah are too. And I cannot help but think about all the roles left unfilled, like who would recite the Seder's order, or who would help serve the food, who would explain the significance of the shank bone on the Seder plate, because it really is an easy one, who would help Sadie when she undoubtedly cried during the four questions, and who would supervise hiding the afikoman, would she open the door for Eliyahu on her own with no one there to cover her body from the cold or block her eyes from peeking back into the house? Without me there with her, would she see my mom drinking the wine? Does she already know that it's my mom who drinks the wine? Without all of the four children, who would she be? The shank bone is on the Seder plate to represent the sacrificial lamb whose blood was smeared on the doorposts of the Israelite homes to keep them safe from the angel of death, who, as the last of the ten plagues, swept over the land of Egypt, killing the firstborn. The blood on the Israelites' doorsteps was a sign for the angel to pass over their houses, which is where we get the name for the holiday, Passover. My mother posted a picture on Facebook of our family Seder this year. With half of us gone, they'd invited a young family to join them, a family with a little boy and a little girl, both around three years old. My mother posted a picture of Sadie holding the door open, holding the front door to our house open for Eliyahu, bending down with her arms wrapped around those two little kids, keeping their bodies warm in the cold and blocking their eyes from peeking back into the house.
Yay! Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to stay connected with Scout and Birdie in between issues, make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Be sure to go to scoutandbirdie.com and see Lydia House's series of watercolors, Little Women. You can also check out all of the artist bios and learn about where you can keep up with them on there too. And if you would like to submit to a future issue of Scout and Birdie, go on to scoutandbirdie.com and click the submission tab and there'll be information on upcoming issues there and you can send us your stuff. I'm Anna Wolf. And I'm Jennifer Keel. And I'm Sadie Wolf. And I'm Courtney Keel. This has been our sister's issue. We'll see you next time with issue 16, Over the Moon. We're going to play you out with another song by Ty Maxson called Calling of the Crows. Bye. 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 Bye.
Cool. 